You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast. All right. Hello and welcome to our second citation classics in the, the trauma literature. Once again, this is part two. Almost we're taking care of our approach, uh, our orthopedic approach to the trauma patient. Our part one, what we talked about uh, going from early total care and getting to trauma damage control orthopedics. And now we're going to discuss kind of the evolution of care over the past 10 years uh, or so, uh, kind of refining our damage control orthopedics to something termed uh, early appropriate care or early definitive surgery, um, a couple of different terms in order to, to address that. Once again, we identified kind of our papers through the OTA's evidence-based medicine resource list, as well as reviewing orthobullets, commonly tested literature, as well as some of these most cited papers, kind of these classic articles that are talked about in, in trauma board and things of that nature uh, and are referenced regularly. So as a brief overview of what we talked about last week, uh, we talked about early total care, the development of early total care based on Bones article. And however, we noticed increased ARDS as well as multi-organ failure as shown in Morshed's article and leading to the development of the second hit hypothesis acknowledging the interplay between the trauma triad of death, coagulopathy, hypothermia, shock with the added consideration of degree of soft tissue injury causing a, a type of priming, putting people at risk for a second hit. This gives rise to treatment with temporary fixation in certain patients. Uh, Pape et al, his article helped identify the patient who may benefit from the so-called damage control orthopedics by organizing patients into categories of stable, borderline, unstable, and in extremis by examining parameters associated with shock, hypothermia, coagulopathy, and soft tissue injury. And these folks would go under, uh, the folks appropriate for damage control orthopedics would then return to the OR for the definitive fixation once out of the window of concern for second hit, typically around three to four days later. So that's where we were. So let's talk about where we're going today. So the author of our, our first paper was concerned and other authors and folks around the country were concerned with this preoccupation with second hit, perhaps causing too many X fixes and delayed final fixation. Uh, in an early article we, we won't review here, Valier et al. put together a multidisciplinary team at their institution to determine what labs may be associated with pulmonary complications in trauma patients, kind of that thing that we see people at risk for the second hit. Uh, are at risk for, the ARDS and things of that nature. They found that acidosis, and specifically low pH and slow improvement in pH, were associated with this complications. And this led them to the Citation Classic uh, article that we're going to review today, trying to identify uh, a low number or an easy approach uh, to simplify to determine who is appropriate for fixation versus damage control orthopedics. Without further ado, here we go. Hey everyone, I'm Bree, and I'll be reviewing Fellier and colleagues' complications are reduced with a protocol to standardizing timing of fixation based on response to resuscitation. Based on controversy over time to fixation, Fellier and colleagues developed the appropriate care protocol to determine time to definitive fracture fixation based on the presence and severity of metabolic acidosis. The purpose of this protocol is ultimately to provide a simple assessment to allow for fixation within 36 hours of injury if initial acidosis had improved by one or more of the following criteria, a lactate less than four, 
pH greater than or equal to 7.25 or a base excess greater than or equal to negative 5.5. The authors conducted a 30-month prospective cohort study to determine the safety and feasibility of the EAC protocol. They had two hypotheses, with the first being that the use of the EAC protocol would be associated with fewer complications when compared to a historical cohort of similar patients, and the second being that those who underwent definitive fixation within 36 hours of injury would have fewer complications when compared to those who underwent delayed fixation greater than 36 hours from injury. Looking into the study design, patients were included if they had a mechanically unstable fracture of the femur, pelvis, acetabulum, or the spine that required fixation with an injury severity score of greater than or equal to 16, with injury to one or more body systems and or hemodynamic instability. Patients were excluded if they were skeletally immature or had a low energy mechanism fracture or a fracture that was secondary to neoplasm. The EAC protocol involved recommendations for both early and delayed fixation. The early fixation group included patients who were able to demonstrate an improvement in their initial acidosis and had a response to resuscitative measures without the need for presser support but patients who had a persistent acidosis were recommended to undergo delayed fixation. And the authors also wanted to look to determine if there were any differences in outcomes for early fixation when comparing to a historical group of similar patients. The outcomes of this study included a primary outcome of complication rates, which included infection, sepsis, VTE, organ failure, and pulmonary complications. And secondary outcomes included hospital and ICU length of stay and the duration of mechanical ventilation. The study population ultimately included 335 patients with 380 fractures who underwent treatment at Metro Health Medical Center over a 30-month period. The mean age of patients was 39 years old, with 71% of the population being male and had an injury severity score in the severe category. 269 patients with 301 fractures were treated within 36 hours of injury with the remaining 66 patients with 79 fractures undergoing delayed fixation. Additionally, the early fixation group was compared to a historical group of 1,443 patients with 1,745 fractures. And table one to the right, shows that there was a significant difference in the mean injury severity score between the early and delayed groups with higher scores being shown in the delayed group. There was also a significant difference in femur and spine fracture fixation with 58% of femur fractures undergoing early fixation and 41% of spine fractures undergoing delayed fixation. And jumping into the results, all patients who were included in this study met the EAC resuscitation criteria within 36 hours of injury. These patients were included in the early fixation group, whereas those who underwent fixation greater than 36 hours from injury were included in the delayed group. The most common reason for patients to undergo delayed fixation was surgeon choice, which accounted for 71% of delayed cases. 
in comparison to the delayed and historical groups, patients who underwent early fixation demonstrated lower complication rates, 16.3% versus 33.3% in the delayed group and 22.1% in the historical group. They also had shorter length of stay in the hospital and ICU settings and showed a decreased duration of mechanical ventilation. Overall, the authors concluded that the early appropriate care is a safe and feasible protocol for severely multiply injured patients with either femoral, pelvic, acetabular, or spinal fractures that required fixation. And in summary, they kind of showed three major points that one, timing of definitive fixation can be determined by tracking for improvement in initial acidosis using lactate, pH, or base excess within 36 hours of injury. Two, adequately resuscitated patients underwent fracture fixation within 36 hours of injury, had fewer complication rates, shorter length of stay, and shorter duration of mechanical ventilation compared to delayed and historical groups. And three, 89% of delayed fixation cases were due to surgeon choice or operational issues. And that kind of wrapped things up for this article and I'll turn it back to you, Matt. Right on. Thank you very much. That was, that's great. There's a, there's a lot of data in this and that's always hard to, to kind of verbalize and you did a great job. Reminder to everyone, we do have uh, the YouTube videos as well, where if you want to take a look at some of these um, charts and everything, but once again, just great job verbally going over it. I think this is a really great article. Um, it's it's aimed at simplifying the decision of, of um, damage control orthopedics versus early fixation. And what I found interesting, I think it presents lactate as a very good uh, kind of gateway in order to, just, to do that decision. But what I found interesting in reading the article is that even though all 335 patients met the criteria for early fixation, there still were patients that were fixed greater than 36 hours from injury. Uh, the paper reports that it was due to surgeon preference. And to me, that seems to indicate that there's some other data that's going in the decision of fix versus not fix beyond just lactate. They do address this in their, um, in their discussion. They talk about, and in the, in the results, they talk about folks with spine injury being more likely to be delayed. They also talk about head injuries and abdominal injuries, folks with higher ISS. They also mention coagulopathy as well. And so they're kind of those classic concomitant injuries and, and, um, and patient characteristics which go into the decision. Uh, and so it tells us there's a little bit more going on. It reinforces the idea that medicine and surgery is never a straightforward go, no go, black and white. We need to make sure that we have an entire picture of the, pa the patient. However, the study definitely shows that lactate is a great resource to look at, to start looking at in order to, to start deciding if we can definitively fix. And so I think it's a really powerful thing to, that, to allow us to weight lactate pretty heavily. Uh, we have a second study here coming up that, that kind of goes into this a little bit more and discusses a little bit more what are some of these other things that we can be looking at and considering in order to determine if we can go forward with surgery. Alrighty, thank you, Matt. My name is Olu, and I'm going to be discussing this paper by Tan et al. titled Definitive Surgery is Safe in Borderline Patients Who Respond to Resuscitation. And uh, first off, I'd like to mention, like Matt said earlier in a previous episode, we talked about damage control orthopedics or DCO and um, its role in the treatment of 
a polytrauma patient. And we also mentioned how definitive fixation in those patients who are severely injured can cause really life-threatening complications. But today we're going to shift gears and talk about how we can balance damage control orthopedics with early total care or ECC. Um, just as a review, we mentioned that uh, a polytrauma patient can be classified into stable, borderline, unstable, and extremist. It's generally accepted that the stable patient can be fixed with definitive surgery. And also on the other end of the spectrum, the unstable and the patients in extremists um, would, def uh, would benefit from damage control orthopedics. But um, the borderline patient is still a bit controversial. Well, how do we treat these borderline patients? And some traumatologists are concerned that we might be a bit too hesitant in treating these borderline patients definitively and we're overdoing the concept of uh, damage control orthopedics. So in this paper, the authors are basically trying to find out if there's a subset of borderline patients that can be treated with early total care without increasing their post-op complications. So the authors did this by conducting a retrospective cohort study of patients aged from 21 to 65. And these are some of the inclusion criteria. High energy traumatic fracture of the pelvis, femur, tibia, an injury severity score of greater than 16, or an ISS greater than two in at least two body regions. Um, patients were classified, who were classified as borderline based on the PAP et al. paper and patients who were also classified as adequately resuscitated before surgery or before four days at the hospital. And uh, the cutoffs they used to determine if patients are adequately resuscitated um, came from the paper that was just discussed by Brie Valley et al. in 2015. And uh, also the cutoff of four days at the hospital was used based on the recommendation by PIP et al to delay definitive surgery in a polytraumatized patient to avoid a second hit phenomenon. And uh, the outcomes they were looking at was the need for continued intubation and ventilation postoperatively, and also the presence of any post-op complications. So for the results, 103 patients met their inclusion criteria 35 of these patients underwent early total care and 68 of them underwent damage control orthopedics. And just a quick reminder, um, all these patients were considered adequately resuscitated according to um, the criteria I listed earlier. And also no patients had any severe trauma of the chest or head or any serious open injuries that required vascular repair. So after looking at the need for continued intubation and ventilation post-op, as well as any presence of post-operative complications, they found no significant difference in patients who underwent early total care versus patients who underwent damage control orthopedics. So what does that mean? In conclusion, I think this study really concurs with the concept 
that uh, once a borderline patient is adequately resuscitated, surgeons can proceed with definitive fixation. And also, it shows that patients can either be treated, borderline patients can either be treated with DCO, which is damage control, or early total care based on their initial response to resuscitation, or even based on their clinical presentation. And also, if uh, the surgeons don't necessarily need to wait for four days um, if the patient can be adequately resuscitated before the definitive surgery is performed. So that's kind of a quick and dirty overview of this paper. Now I'm going to turn it over to Matt to give a quick summary. Perfect. Yeah. Thanks, Willow. And that was that was a great summary. And as you said, it, this is just a, a great paper taking a look at our borderline population patients and what values to look at to determine when we can move forward to fix their fractures. And it's just great to see that we have some folks met this uh, these criteria immediately, and so they could go undergo uh, early total care. Some folks didn't meet it immediately and had to go undergo damage control orthopedics. And then were revised as soon as to definitive fixation as soon as they met the criteria, and it was okay to do so earlier than waiting that kind of classic three four days uh, that we discovered back in around the two thousands or we, we kind of hypothesized during the two thousands. And so this is just a an important and, and powerful addition to our uh, idea that we can take certain groups of people back once they're stable enough for definitive fixation before waiting um, uh, that three or four days. Um, this is kind of, they, they term it uh, early definitive surgery. Bellier talks about it as early appropriate care and, and PAPE at all. They, they talk about a concept of safe definitive surgery, kind of all the same idea that is guiding our approach, current approach to the trauma patient. It's highlighting the importance of regular reassessment of the patient's status, moving forward with definitive surgery at an early time part to help these patients mobilize and to stop the ongoing inflammatory cascade from an unstable fracture. This kind of really summarizes where we are currently in our approach to the trauma patient. This was published in 2021. I really encourage, there's a, actually has a really great uh, discussion section in the paper, if you get a chance to take a look at it. Um, it's a relatively short discussion section as well. And so you can kind of blaze through it and, and see what we've been talking about the past uh, two presentations. And it really, this is kind of the end of the road of that kind of evolution of the trauma patient. We, we wanted to talk about briefly for uh, our next article, we've talked about for all of these patients that there are certain co uh, concomitant injuries that we're concerned about proceeding to definitive fixation. And one of them is, is head injury. We haven't really talked about what it is about a head injury patient that makes us want to wait for definitive fixation. That means that we want to do damage control orthopedics. And so we actually have a really great review article uh, that we want to discuss very briefly in order to talk about what it is about these head injury patients that makes them a special a patient population that we want to wait for. So I'll turn it over to Nick. All right. Hey, everybody. It's Nick again. Uh, like Matt said, we're going to go ahead and take a little bit of a left turn and throw head injuries into the mix. So I'm going to be presenting femur shaft fracture fixation in head, in head injured patients. When is the right time? Uh, this was published by Dr. Michael Fleural et al. Uh, in the Journal of Orthopedic Trauma in 2010. This paper is pretty dense. Uh, I'm gonna do my best to hit all the high points for you. Um, but if you have a particular interest in TBIs, I would highly recommend reading it. Uh, it goes over a lot of the pathophysiology. So let's start off with a little bit of background. 
the mortality of people multiply injured with a TBI uh, remains quite high, uh, despite being in the modern era of medicine. So why do we have this high mortality rate? Um, it's often attributed to secondary neurologic insults. So this could be due to a second hit with surgery. So therefore timing and modality of fracture fixation is really, really important uh, in those patients with TBI. So we don't cause uh, this second hit. So let's talk a little bit about the pathophysiology. So again, this is a, a very summarized version of what the paper goes over. Uh, I'm gonna try and present some of the high points to you all. So there are several intracerebral inflammatory processes uh, that occur as a result of a TBI. We have pro-inflammatory mediators uh, that induce chemotaxis of leukocytes across the blood-brain barrier, and that's not good. We have inflammatory response uh, that gets compounded with ischemia reperfusion and intracranial hypertension. So then what we do is we throw musculoskeletal injuries on top of uh, the TBI, and this contributes to additional inflammatory uh, and systemic cascades that occur in parallel. So like we were saying, timing and modality of fracture fixation is really important. Uh, it's important to proceed cautiously so we don't uh, iatrogenically cause a second hit to the brain. So surgeons often have uh, three options that we're going to dive into a little bit uh, one by one when caring, when caring for someone uh, who's multiply injured with a TBI uh, after resuscitation and intracranial pathologies have been addressed. So these three options that the paper goes over uh, is definitive treatment with traction, like we've been talking about early total care. Uh, in this case with a femur fracture, there'd be immediate intermediary femoral fixation. Or we can do a stage damage control approach. Uh, this would be via an external fixator or traction uh, with delayed intramediary nailing. So let's dive into each one of these. So if we look at definitive treatment with traction, the authors point out this greatly increases the antigenic load. Uh, this increases the overall burden of the trauma and promotes secondary inflammation. So this leads to overall worsening of cerebral edema it may not always be the best choice in all cases. Let's dive into the other two a little bit. So we have damage control orthopedics and early total care. So for those watching on YouTube uh, that are following along with the slides, I'll just uh, point out, I'll just follow along with this uh, schematic. So our first hit, we have femur fractures and traumatic brain injuries. Um, they can be fixed via damage control orthopedics or early total care. So the authors uh, compared the two and just some things to point out with each one. Uh, early total care is a much longer surgery, much more invasive uh, compared to damage control orthopedics, relatively shorter. Um, and the author points out that this could reduce the second hit um, as opposed to early total care, which may help aggravate the second hit. So things we're trying to reduce, of course, with damage control orthopedics a uh, secondary brain injury, a uh, cerebral ischemia, reperfusion injury, neuroinflammation, and a uh, breakdown of the blood-brain barrier. So that is kind of a cycle in itself. Then we also have, of course, the lethal triad, like we've been mentioning uh, in this episode and in previous episodes, hypothermia, metabolic acidosis, and co coagulopathy. Uh, these are all things we're trying to reduce. So the damage control approach has been shown by the authors to reduce these secondary injuries while the early total care approach, much more invasive, much longer surgery, uh, could potentially aggravate 
uh, these secondary brain injuries and the lethal triad. So the authors wanted to do a little bit more of a timeline on, you know, what, why the damage control approach approach could be superior in some situations. So in our first 24 hours after an injury, someone with a TBI and a femur fracture, their brain uh, is experiencing hemorrhage, ischemia, increased intracranial pressure, and decreased cerebral blood flow. Systemically, they're of course having acidosis, post-injury coagulopathy, hemorrhagic shock, hypothermia, all things that are uh, relatively acute. So in this first 24 hours, the authors recommend considering damage control orthopedics with an external fixator in our uh, first day after injuries. So continuing along this timeline, the authors point out this day from day one to day four, where we have potentially systemic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS. Uh, this is a period with upregulated up innate immunity, tissue damage, cell death, apoptosis. So the authors point out, this is not a time where we should be operating. Uh, this should be a no touch time. So not to induce a second hit. Um, they recommend just regular uh, routine care during this period. They point out uh, a time window of opportunity between day four and day 10, where we could do definitive fixation with an IM nail. So during this period from day four to day 10, there's a shift from hyperinflammation to hypoinflammation. And it's in this window of opportunity where we could potentially operate uh, and continue the staged fixation with a damage control approach. After day 10, from day 10 to three weeks, we have this period, uh, again, where the authors call it a no-touch period, where there's suppressed adaptive, adaptive immunity and susceptibility to infection. This is a period where there could be compensatory anti-inflammatory response syndrome, or CARS. So because of the susceptibility to infection, again, this is a no-touch period. We don't want to induce a second hint we shouldn't operate during this time. So again, we should do damage control orthopedics on the first day, and then between day four and day 10 is our time window of opportunity to do our stage fixation with an intermediary nail. So in conclusion, I know that was a lot. Uh, TBIs are really complicated. So again, uh, the paper goes over it a lot better or in more depth. I'm a little bit more about this uh, whole thing about TBIs. So the damage control approach the authors recommend uh, could be used for someone with a TBI and a GCS of three to 13 or those severely polytraumatized. And they recommend using the early total care approach for those of the GCS of 14 or 15 and a mild TBI, such as a concussion. The authors do point out though, this research is still relatively inconclusive um, and dividing it up by GCS is just a relative guideline based on the current research they recommend using uh, clinical experience and updated literature to further guide uh, clinical decisions. But that is the guidelines that they uh, recommended based on the literature present uh, at the time. Perfect. And that's all we have for uh, TBIs and uh, femur fractures. I'll go ahead and send it back to Matt. Right on. That was, that was perfect. Yeah. And like, like you're saying, there, there's a lot of science in this uh, in this article and those that are super interested, of course, invite you and encourage you to, to jump in a little bit, but it's, it's talking about, Hey, the, the brain is a really sensitive organ. And when you injure it, it's at increased risk of secondary injury and a little bit of injury in the brain goes a long way. So we want to try to avoid that um, if at all possible. And they really do a good job talking about it all. And they did a great job uh, summarizing it. 
Um, so this is this is the end of the road for our, our second uh, trauma citations classic and the end of the road for talking about approach to orthopedic trauma patient. Um, we, re we reviewed the evolution of the treatment of orthopedic trauma patients. And like many things in medicine, we've seen that pendulum swing back and forth and ultimately finding what's hopefully the most appropriate middle ground at this point. And of course, it's going to continue to develop as we learn more. Um, we started with that weight, put everyone in traction, and then we found out that was bad. So we started to fix everyone. We figured out that, you know, maybe that wasn't the greatest idea. So we started talking about we should do this thing called damage control orthopedics, wait for three to four days and then definitively fix. And then we kept on looking at it. We said, you know what, there's there's some folks that we can definitively fix earlier than that three to four days. There's a, a group of people appropriate for early appropriate care or or safe definitive surgery or early definitive surgery, whatever term you'd like to, to talk about it. And we identified what some of those values that can guide that decision are. Uh, if I had to try to summarize our overall approach right now, um, it would be, we need to always be reevaluating our patients. We need to strive to definitively fix as soon as possible. And the parameters that can influence our decision to fix uh, are the, of course, the trauma triad of death and the degree of soft tissue injury, as we discussed with all the different patient um, categories. And the things that we can look at are our labs of lactate of less than 2.5, our base excess of greater than negative 5.5, our pH of 7.25, our basically our, our degree of acidosis and how our our body is responding to stress, and as well as looking at our coagulation um, parameters. Then finally, we need also need to look at what the, the concomitant injuries are. If they have a head injury, we want to make sure that we're listening to our neurosurge colleagues. We can take a look and we might want to wait and do definitive surgery in order to, to protect the, the brain. We can do definitive surgery a little bit later. We need to look at particular about chest injury. We need to look at our vent settings in order to see what the lungs are doing and how they might respond to the challenge of a second hit. And then, of course, keep an eye, keep in mind on folks that have received massive transfusion, as that causes lots of pro-inflammatory states as well. Um, so, overall, that's what we look at. That's what we keep on looking at, and we, we keep on trying to, to take care of our patients in the best way possible and, and move forward. So, I want to say on behalf of everyone uh, here at the, the Trauma Citation Classics team, thanks for for tuning in. We're we're working on it. We appreciate any feedback you guys got. We just want to try to make this as as quick, easy, and as informative as we can. So, thank you very much.